As you know, it's important to me that the supplements I recommend and use are of the highest quality. That's why I stock the Protocol for Life Balance product line at my online dispensary, drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. Protocol for Life Balance offers a wide range of professional grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research, including a new extra strength version of astaxanthin for immune, brain, and vision health. Astaxanthin 12 milligram extra strength. It's a naturally occurring carotenoid that plays an important role in cellular protection and healthy immune system responses. Astaxanthin has also been shown in clinical studies to promote normal cognitive function and may help to maintain a positive mood. In the eye, it helps to neutralize free radicals and manage eye strain due to computer usage. Astaxanthin 12 milligram extra strength is available at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance for more information and to order. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm your host, Layla Mutin. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to me weigh in on topics of interest. I always appreciate your questions. Email them to questions at drhoffman.net. That's questions at drhoffman.net. And if you don't already subscribe to the Intelligent Medicine newsletter, you may do so. Just simply go to drhoffman.com. Click on subscribe. You can unsubscribe at any time. It's free and comes out about once a week. Enjoy it. I want to talk today about anti-nutrients because there are a lot of influencers out there. You've probably heard of Dr. Stephen Gundry's Plant Paradox. I have the book. I've read it some time ago. It's very, very compelling. And the topic of anti-nutrients has been around pretty much ever since. Oh, we can't eat that. It's a poisonous food. Or there are lectins and there are oxalates and there's all of, all of the above. So I want to dive into these anti-nutrients. Now, Dr. Deanna Minich does a beautiful job in holistic primary care. She's also written an article along with one of her uh, graduate students in the journal Nutrients, titled, Is There Such a Thing as Anti-Nutrients? A Narrative Review of Perceived Problematic Plant Compounds. And that's in the journal Nutrients. It was released in 2020. And this I'm bringing you these excerpts out of Holistic Primary Care, which is a wonderful uh, magazine. So how do we reconcile? And here's the problem. We want to eat the rainbow, right? I'm always counseling patients and clients to get a minimum of five colors a day in all of our produce, right? The dark leafy greens of the various lettuces and spinach and arugula, the lighter greens maybe of the romaine lettuces, the other greens of broccoli, the whites of the cauliflower or even cabbage other greens of broccoli the the reds of tomatoes and red peppers and raspberries and strawberries 
and the skins of radishes, tomatoes, you know, the, the orange of carrots, all of the above, all important. So the view on eating the rainbow is exactly that. It is healthy to eat the rainbow. You want to eat all of the vegetables and fruits and eat the rainbow of colors. It, it's, it's helpful in reducing the risk for chronic disease, all of the above. It's good for us. So what are anti-nutrients that are contained in many of our healthy foods? In the classical sense, this is according to Dr. Deanna Minich, anti-nutrients are referred to as plant compounds that interfere with the absorption or the metabolism of vitamins and minerals. However, some people have broadened the definition and now use the term colloquially to also include problematic plant compounds like lectins that may increase inflammation and gut permeability, you know, leaky gut, or cause problems via other mechanisms. So, lectins comprise a large class of proteins within humans, animal, fungi, algae, plants, that bind to carbohydrates. And in some instances, cause agglutination of cells. And according to some estimates, about 30% of all human foods contain lectins, which may be problematic if they're resistant to digestion. I will get into what foods contain lectins. Don't worry. You probably want that. I'm, I'm getting to that. Now, some of the first publications on lectins date back to as long ago as 1946. By the late 1980s, the field of glycobiology began to emerge as researchers shed light on the ways in which sugars become linked with other types of molecules to form glycoconjugates. Now, in the present day, Many researchers have focused on the ways in which lectins bind carbohydrates and the potential negative effects this might have on human health. Several authors in the health and nutrition field have popularized this concept through books, videos, and fad diets. And much of the data linking lectins to human health risks have come from cell culture and animal studies. The association between lectin intake and human disease risk have not been definitively proven by human studies. And there lies the rub. There are no human studies on this. Lectins in plants have been brought into the limelight in recent years. But it is worth noting that lectins are actually found throughout all of nature, including 
the animal kingdom. And at least 12 categories of naturally occurring animal lectins have now been identified. Now, for the most part, lectins play the same role in plants as they do in animals. They provide a defense mechanism protecting the plant or animal from pathogens. The lectin-containing plant foods that have received the most attention recently are the legumes, you know, your kidney beans, your soybeans, and your whole grains like wheat and rice, and even some fruits and vegetables like potatoes and tomatoes, particularly in their raw state. If animals are fed those foods, they become exposed to the plant lectins in addition to their own endogenous lectins. So what are the common foods containing higher lectin content? I'm going to name them. Black beans, white or red kidney beans, soybeans, green beans, fava beans, lima beans, lentils, whole grains such as wheat, cassava, which is a root vegetable similar to potato, tomatoes, and potatoes. Indeed, it is true that consuming raw or undercooked beans would be problematic and gut disruptive for most people. The undigested lectins may cause inflammation and the loss of tight junctions at the gut barrier. When we have a loss of tight junctions in the gut, this is called a leaky gut, gut permeability. They might also stimulate the production of endotoxins, ultimately provoking a system-wide immune response due to the presence of lectin receptors on various tissues. Now, you're not going to eat a raw potato. You're going to eat a raw tomato. You're not going to eat raw whole grains. They're going to be cooked. You're going to cook your rice. You're going to cook your beans. Raw beans can actually be quite toxic, as is being described here. Now, some authors have speculated that plant lectins could also cause nutrient malabsorption and have proposed that symptoms of acute lectin toxicity include diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting. The issue with food, however, is that the amount of lectins in, in, in a given plant food can vary substantially based on the growing season, as well as how the food is prepared, the degree to which exposure to plant lectins may be problematic, also varies from person to person. It is also worth in mind that lectins may be part of the body's first-line response to immune dysregulation and therefore advantageous to immune activity.
much of the data linking lectins to human health risks have come from cell culture and animal studies. The associations between lectin intake and human disease and human disease risk have not been definitively proven by human studies. Now, that said, there may be a segment of the population, potentially those with autoimmune conditions, that have greater sensitivity to the effects of lectins. This sensitivity may be due to changes in the composition of the gut microbiome, the overall health status of the gut, or to immune dysregulation with increased autoantibodies and tissue damage. Vojdani et al. detected lectin antibodies in a small percentage of a nominally healthy population of 500 individuals. That small percentage ranges from 8 to 18 percent. Despite these findings, in their concluding remarks, they state, quote, We strongly disagree with this kind of misleading blanket condemnation of all lectins at all times everywhere. I have to agree with that because when it comes to beans, for example, the lectins, first of all, make sure they're thoroughly cooked. There is a school of thought that says you should not cook raw beans in a slow cooker because it does not thoroughly cook it. However, you're better off cooking the beans in a pressure cooker because that can help really destroy or at least deactivate the lectins. So, for those who have autoimmune conditions or even inflammatory bowel disease, it may be helpful to try to reduce the lectin content of the diet, avoiding lectin-containing foods, or by adopting cooking methods known to substantially reduce lectin content. Since lectins are water-soluble proteins, boiling, steaming, or stewing lectin-containing grains and legumes can reduce the amount of lectins consumed. Soaking and fermenting are also known to lower lectins. Fermentation is good for so many foods. Dry heat cooking and microwaving, however, are not effective at reducing lectin content. So overall, while the literature on lectins is vast, Dr. Minich says, I would not claim to be an expert in glycobiology. There seem to be four key themes, however, worth keeping in mind. Number one, the diverse types of lectins. We need to look at variety of different lectins, says Deanna Minich how they may be functionally different, and whether they have distinct functions 
in different environments. Number two, individual variants in immune system function. We're all going to react differently, right? So whether lectins in plant foods are problematic may depend in part on an individual's immune system and whether there is autoimmunity or dysbiosis or some type of gut dysfunction on some level. Number three, the totality of lectin-containing foods consumed and the context in which they are eaten. We don't eat lectins. We eat food, some of which contain lectins, yes, along with thousands of other compounds and millions of microorganisms. We have to consider the impact of that. And number four, how lectin-containing foods are prepared. As noted, preparation methods make a big difference in the total amount of lectins consumed. In evaluating the idea that lectin-containing foods are problematic, Dr. Minich began to question whether it's really the lectins or if there is something else even more detrimental, such as pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, that may be causing problematic food-related responses. Many crops can be contaminated with any number of toxicants such as glyphosate, in addition to mycotoxins and heavy metals like arsenic in rice. If we adhere to the principle of dietary diversity, ensuring that we get a rotation of different types of foods, we may be able to free ourselves from the tendency to become overly focused on the, quote, trees of trying to omit particular plant compounds and rediscover the, quote, forest of a healthful plant-rich diet. In general, there are still many unanswered questions with respect to what might make an individual more sensitive to a lectin-containing food. For example, an immune imbalance, uh, a, a gut microbiome issue, a gene variant, right? We also need to understand more about ways to reduce lectins if they are indeed problematic. We know that cooking methods can affect lectin content. But what about cultivation methods? Dr. Minich suspects that if lectins are part of a plant's defense system, they might be higher in organically grown foods. But we really don't know. The topic of lectins also begs the question of whether we are too narrowly focused on one group of compounds, which leads some people to completely omit foods that for centuries 
have been part of the diets of many cultures that show longevity. You know, think about the Blue Zones. And let's not forget that there are several large human population slash epidemiological studies that support inclusion of lectin-containing foods like whole grains, legumes, and nuts in the diet. These food groups are associated with lowering the risk of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. They are also good sources of protein, fiber, minerals, and healthy fats. And that's why we cannot simply narrow in on lectins as a sole culprit and eliminate entire categories of foods. A more balanced approach seems warranted. She makes a great argument for this, and I want to bring up the, the, the subject also of nuts. People eat raw nuts thinking they're healthful, the, the enzymes are alive, all of this, but you know raw nuts naturally contain trypsin inhibitors. What does that mean? They naturally contain constituents that inhibit digestion, that inhibit our own digestive juices. So for many people, eating raw nuts can cause indigestion, can cause acid reflux, GERD, can also cause constipation. Raw nuts are notorious for for doing that. But this is the way the plant, the nut, is protecting itself to perpetuate its own species. If it's not digested in our guts, we poop it out, kind of undigested, right? That then can become seed and continue to grow. Think about how the plant kingdom protects itself that way. I'm going to continue on this topic, going into other anti-nutrients like oxalates and, and, oxalates and phytates, which Dr. Diana Minich does a beautiful job explaining. So stay tuned for part two next week on Layla Ways In here on Intelligent Medicine. This is Layla Mutin, RD. I see patients regularly along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, There's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. I look forward to being a collaborator in your health care.